So today's going to be a little freewheeling as I try to tie some things together that have been going on in the news. And it's some stuff I've talked about a little bit last week, the week before. But I'm going to try to put it into some sort of framework that is uh, descriptive of the narrative we see around us. So of course this is the inevitable GameStop episode where I try to start from there and piece together the narrative of what happened, um, why where it's going, and what the implications are. So I I guess I'll do a brief recap if you weren't following the GameStop saga. I I think it's fairly simple. Um, What happened is there is an online community on Reddit mostly, and the one that's most popularized and is coming up is Wall Street Bets. They gathered around GameStop stocks because, one, they initially already had in their mind that GameStop was undervalued because there have been some chair changes and a lot of people on Reddit have generally a positive view of GameStop with the PS5 and the new Xbox coming out. So they thought it was undervalued already, but then also some people revealed that there are hedge funds with short positions in GameStop, which essentially means... I, I Okay, I, I, I guess I do have to go through all this. Um, okay, so a short position is pretty much saying that you're going to borrow a stock from somebody for a certain amount of money, and then you'll sell them back the stock for a certain value at a later date. So I can borrow a stock from you that is worth $10 today. If I think that stock's going to be worth $5 in two weeks, I'll have it arranged to, to bring the stock back to you um, in two weeks, and I'll also pay you 2 bucks. Well, since the stock went from 10 to $5, I sold it at 10 bought it back at 5 gave you the new stock and the $2, and I made $3 profit, right, because I... You know, I sold it for $10 and I ended up giving them back $2 plus the stock that I bought for $5. So I netted $3 on that exchange. That's what a short is. So a bunch of people shorted, were shorting GameStop. But the issue is if a lot of people are shorting GameStop, you have to buy back the GameStop stock at some point when your short expires. So imagine you had a ton of shorts, uh, short contracts expiring um, on February 1st, and it was you know January 29th. Well, if you don't own the stock that you have to give back to the person, you have to buy it. So if a ton of people are in the know that you have all these short uh, contracts expiring, you're hev- heavily leveraged in shorts for one company, they can all start buying that stock. That pushes the stock price up. Well, you're going to have to buy that stock, and the issue is if a ton of people are going into it, you're going to want to buy the stock before it goes up too high. So that meant everybody who had short positions on GameStop also piled into the market at the same time that the Redditors piled into the market. So that like doubly caused the, the, the stock to spike, even though the fundamentals of the stock would price it much lower. So that, 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 that's called a short squeeze, and that's essentially what drove the GameStop stock up initially. So you had Redditors do this. This caused a ton of controversy because there was all kinds of stock volatility around GameStop. Um, 
And then all these random people on paper made a ton of money and they're bragging about it and they're bragging about how they totally destroyed Wall Street because a couple um, hedge funds got screwed. Now, so, so that uh, that's the basic narrative and that, that's the first uh, elements of it. Then what ends up happening is over the next few days, Robinhood, which is a trading app for normal random people like you, the, the listener probably is, or, or I am, I have a Robinhood account, and it's just kind of normal people can trade stocks on there. Well, Robinhood disabled being able to buy positions in stocks that were heavily volatile at the time, like GameStop. Um, th- this led to an intense reaction of people saying, you're doing this because you're in hedge funds' pockets, and because you're in hedge funds' pockets, they were losing all this money, so you uh, helped them out. You bailed them out by restricting trading, and now all these people had to sell their positions because now nobody's buying GameStop. They're only selling it, so the price is dropping, which causes more people to want to get out of it while the price is high, so everybody's selling off GameStop rapidly, which is pretty much what happened. So, okay. So are they in Wall Street's pocket? Well, that's kind of up for interpretation. There were a lot of rumors that well, they got calls from their their primary investors. There, were, there was a large hedge fund that um, has ties to Robinhood's funding because Robinhood is not a, pri- a public company. So a lot of their um, sh- a lot of their stake is in uh, pr- private parties, including some large funds. Um, but they announced, and it was reported in the Wall Street Journal that. What happened was they had a huge bill from their clearinghouse, and this is why they restricted trades on high volatility stocks. So pretty much how Robinhood's, um, the the, the financial plumbing works in their system is it makes the trade instantly for you, but Robinhood actually processes the trade um, over a larger time horizon. What ends up happening is to some extent Robinhood kind of can cover is the one covering the cost of any volatility that happens in that time period and their clearinghouse is the one that that kind of um, aligns the actual trade they front money to their clearinghouse but if stocks are more volatile then there might actually be a significantly different price between when you input the price and see it go through versus when it goes through the clearinghouse and the real trade is actually made and Robinhood is the one who has to cover that potential risk and that volatility. So since volatility in GameStop, it's a stock that went up, you know, hundreds of percent in a day from, say, $40 to $80 and $80 to $400 over the span of a few days. They were charged with a huge clearinghouse bill of the likes that they'd never seen before. And um, their their business model, they, they, they didn't have enough cash on hand to handle it. So this is the narrative that they're putting out there. Um, I think it's believable. Um, but I'm not a person who's a financial expert that would know if this uh, holds up under scrutiny or not, or if this is just a cover for them being corrupt. Either way, they are being heavily scrutinized by both the users because you know they got screwed out of being able to have people drive GameStop stock continually upwards, and they get um, they are scrutinized by the people who want to regulate Robinhood. So something like the short squeeze could just never happen again in general. So. That, that, that's the general situation that you have there to start. Um, so, I, so, so, so the takeaways from all of this is Robinhood ended up being not prepared for this type of high volatility short squeeze. And because of this, whether it was conspiratorial or not, they stopped trading. That's going to give them regulatory scrutiny. Well, a lot of times when you have things that are perceived in popular culture as bubbles, it's you can you can defend them from a free market perspective. So what I see in this whole 
um, GameStop situation is there are a group of private investors, um, and by that I mean private citizen investors, so people like me and you. They were informed of an opportunity to take part in a short squeeze, and they could attempt to profit off the short squeeze. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's your money. It's your risk. I don't see an issue here. So I think that all that is fine, that that volatility was earned because people are exploiting a bad position by a hedge fund. Now, the issue here is, so the, this opens up regulatory risks, though, that now we all have to worry about because the government's interest is to pretty much take every inch they're given and to regulate the hell out of free enterprise. Because if anything looks bad optic-wise, they can scapegoat it. They can blame capitalism. It justifies regulations that work in anybody in government's interest, whether it actually helps you or I. So well, one of the things that happened was the, there, there was a specific hedge fund that lost, I think, 50% on returns in the month of January. So this was like a huge existential risk to that hedge fund. Um, but before they lucked out and GameStop what was unable to be traded or bought on Robinhood, that, that, that helped them, um, you know. It helps GameStop not skyrocket too much, which would have, could have potentially hypothetically killed a hedge, this hedge fund, but they, they still had huge losses. So this opened up, opens up the regulatory risk for the governments to further tell you or for, further tell hedge funds how they have to allocate their portfolio. This isn't something you should want because the government's, I, I would argue the government doesn't do a good job of financial management, just looking at the national debt, just looking at the way Social Security's trust fund has been managed, and just and even if you think about state budgets, um, how, how much misleading uh, math is used in state budgets to allegedly balance them. Um, if you just think about pension funds, things like this, I don't know why we should be trusting the government to tell hedge funds generally how to invest. But, but that's something you could see if they, if they explain to basic people, hey, look how easily it is a company to, to, to do shorting as an option. Shorting as an option doesn't have any real economic value in the mind of statists that um, don't really value market signals. So they, 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 they can say that this is just all based on greed and plain roulette. And people shouldn't be allowed to take this kinds of risks. Hedge, hedge funds shouldn't be allowed to take this, these kinds of risks. So they could potentially be, they, they, they could potentially use this as an, as an excuse to further legislate the entire f financial industry, which they already do heavily, heavily regulate. But they could, you know, take another step in. Okay, so that's the um, hedge funds. Now Robinhood. Robinhood has been under a ton of scrutiny for, um, you know stopping people from being able to trade a certain stock, even if they were able to do it for real reasons, like them not being able to afford to cover charges to their clearinghouse, um, that, that, that still opens them up to a regulatory concern where the government could essentially tell them, hey, you're not allowed to ever do that. So that would force Robinhood to operate under a different business model. And it could potentially make their current business model not viable if they don't have this emergency break. Um, because the, 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 there is a universe where Robinhood's not allowed to pull the break, um, you know, the, the, the emergency break of stopping these volatile trades, and then they can't afford the payments to their clearinghouse, and they can't obtain funds to pay their clearinghouse. Now, all of a sudden, that's an existential risk to their company. Well, if you have existential risks for a company, your company isn't going to be a viable investment for anybody. Nobody's going to invest in Robinhood. They're going to invest in other companies like TD Ameritrade that might have a different business model. And now you've sunk a type of business that made stock markets accessible to random consumers. So this, this is the government essentially having an option to regulate a whole 
way of subverting traditional financial tradings for normal consumers. So I find that a little bit, a little bit alarming. Um, I, I also could see this going the other way too, where there is still the potential um, scenario that the government actually pressured Robinhood to stop this trading to defend Wall Street. Um, and I, I think that's pretty possible because if you think about companies like Facebook and Twitter, they get pulled in front of congressional testimonies every three months. And the congressmen say things along the lines of, if you don't ban certain types of users, we're gonna, probably going to start regulating you. And then what, what do those companies going to do? They start banning those users because they don't want the regulatory burden. And they don't want real laws that they have to pay compliance um, to abide by. They'd rather just informally abide by things they're told. So this could be Robin Hood just taking the cues and saying like, hey, we have this clearinghouse excuse. We're going to stop trading because we don't want to be regulated. So that, that is another element that, that should be considered, although it's not like you'd have hard evidence to prove that. If the government did bully Robin Hood into doing that, it's not likely that we would find out, except in maybe some shoddily reported stories with... Um, uh, anonymous sources and that, that's something to, I'm kind of curious about and might be watching out for in the next couple months okay so we got those out of the way and then when we talk about consumers themselves and day traders the, this whole fiasco has set people up to say that short selling things or just taking short positions and things so the GameStop um, investors on Reddit weren't necessarily short sellers, but they were investing in a short position. Not a lot of them were thinking, I'm going to buy GameStop at $40 because it's going to be worth $100 in a year. They're buying at $40 because they knew the short squeeze would happen and they wanted to sell it at $200. So th this might lead to more scrutiny over who can sell things in short positions. So who, who is eligible to buy things and then sell them within a small window of time as opposed to only being able to buy things for long holding periods um that uh, that's a concern i have also that there is this generally like fi financial illiteracy that there's only utility in buying stocks if you're basing their their future prices off hardcore fundamentals and i, I find that i find this kind of i guess appalling to to my individual sensibilities because i think people should be able to invest how they see fit but if you think the market is dramatically overvalued I, I may be a person that falls in that camp. I, I think the market's overvalued generally because of the fundamentals. But that doesn't mean I won't invest in the market because if I think it's still going to go up despite being overvalued, there's still money to be made there. So I could take short positions that I think are going to improve, but I still might see a recession happening in the next two years because of the fundamentals. So the, the, the fact that the government might be considering regulations to force people to only be able to take long positions, I find abhorrent because if I perceive things, I forecast things in a way that is privy to short positions, I should be able to take advantage of it. And I'm not doing any harm to anybody if they want to sell me their stocks and I'm offering to buy them. And I think that's, I think that's quite ridiculous. And I can see something like that happening on the horizon. Okay. So, and then the last, I guess, broad concern I have with this whole GameStop situation is it plays into this general leftist narrative that I'm not a fan of. And I think it's also a narrative of kind of like the, the, the person who falls into maybe the Trump populist camp. It's like the everyman kind of thinks that investors are just people who are gambling. And to, to some extent, this is true. Um, I hate name dropping people. It makes me feel like a pseudo-intellectual piece of trash. 
but to, to name drop an author, it'd be Nazim Nicholas Taleb. And Nazim Nicholas Taleb kind of talks about survivorship bias in financial industries and that a lot of people who play by the rules in finance um, aren't necessarily doing anything intelligent. They're doing the things they're kind of taught to, and those things put them at existential risk. It's just they don't succumb to it, and they think they're actually geniuses when they've really just survived coincidentally. Um, so it's kind of conflating the outcome w w with the procedure when they're not necessarily tied perfectly together. So well, what I'm getting at there is, to some degree, a lot of the people in finance are gambling in the sense that if your whole portfolio is cash, you're gambling that the U.S. dollar isn't going to be worthless in the next you know, couple months. But so, <laughs> so, so, so to some extent, having money in cash is a gamble. Well, it's really just having all your money in cash is high exposure, and there are investments people make all the time that have very high exposure. Well, with that said, a lot of financial advisors, even though somebody like Nazim Nicholas Tleber or myself might think that they're putting themselves at risks that they're not familiar with, they, they, they at least, in their minds, think they're making these very valid judgments based on certain fundamentals and certain forecasts and, and, certain, market mar mar and certain market trends. So... It's not like they're pulling things out of thin air and putting, you know, a thousand dollars on 32 black and spinning, you know, um, spinning the roulette wheel. It's 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 more complex than that. But there's this general narrative that all Wall Street does is they throw money at it and then they hope it goes up. And a lot of times that is true. And 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 as a person who considers myself an ANCAP, I do recognize that a lot of these groups have been unfairly subsidized by. Uh, 0% loans and free money and cheap money because of Federal Reserve policy and other monetary interventions. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that goes without saying. I'm just saying any interven any decision you make involving the stock market isn't a complete game of chance like Russian roulette or, or roulette in general. <laughs> um, okay. But everything about the GameStop thing plays into this nihilist narrative that economic numbers, stock market numbers are actually based on nothing. With that said, the whole GameStop situation proves that they are based on something because what happens is GameStop price given get, gets driven up for actually a very logical reason because despite the fundamentals, the short squeeze sets up incentives that do make sense. Then what happens after a lot of those short positions expire is the stock for GameStop rapidly starts going down back towards like the quote-unquote fundamental price would look something like because once people aren't taking short positions there's no reason for anybody to be driving up the stock so it isn't completely arbitrary and the GameStop the whole GameStop situation proved it so it but 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 it plays into this narratives that bubbles completely irrational bubbles can be made and that, uh, that's what the stock market really is. And that kind of sets up the whole blaming capitalism for whatever follies happen in the future. Um, and and that, that goes to the whole blaming unfettered capitalism is a phrase that I just find uh, appalling. But this is the kind of thing that people will cite in, in books written by, you know, general to, in, in books written to general audiences. This is the thing they cite for look at this silly uh, situation of unfettered capitalism. So you have that. But it also could be seeding something for whatever the next financial crisis is. So I think the, I think what happened with GameStop here is also kind of tying in with things like SPACs. SPACs are also often referred to colloquially as blank check companies. And you have these companies that pretty much aren't a company in really any degree. They don't do anything. They are publicly traded. 
so you can buy shares of them. And then they really just exist so they can merge with a company that already exists so, they're, so they could be a public company without going through the IPO process. So if somebody's buying a SPAC today, but it hasn't merged with a company yet, you're just gambling. And this is more of a gamble that that team at that SPAC will merge with a valuable company and that your stock price will go up once they merge with a real company. So you can argue that that's more of a gamble, but people are going to point to SPACs just like they're going to point to Robinhood and the GameStop situation as things that feed into the next bubble. The issue with this is even though you could argue that SPACs um, are potentially something you should be concerned about in the short term, it's not something that is systemic. It's not something that something that's structural. It's not something like Federal Reserve uh, fiscal, it's not like monetary and fiscal expansionary policy that directly affects the entire stock market and feeds into the business cycle. And this is something that Austrian School Economics addresses directly. But that's not something you hear really discussed in the, the common um, allowable opinion that goes on in neoliberal circles. It's not something you hear about on Bloomberg. It's not something you hear about in the Wall Street Journal. Now, luckily, I was able to track down a couple articles that one came out a few weeks back and one came out um, in this last week that are kind of about the idea of the fiscal stimulus that's being discussed and some potential concerns of it. And I think this is important to talk about just because we've talked about the things that make the front page. We've talked about GameStop. We talked about SPACs. We talked about the, the narratives of, oh, look, here's bubbles. Look, unfettered capitalism is evil. But then we have these little articles lurking in the paper that are about like, hey, maybe too much stimulus might actually cause, you know, big issues. So if I'm thinking that SPACs and GameStop are getting all the attention because they can be a scapegoat, they can be a popular example to point to as a scapegoat, I think we should be looking at right now what people are concerned about and what they might and what and why they might be concerned about it. So then if GameStop gets blamed for these things in the future, we can go, wait a second, were people warning about this because of more stimulus and, and things like that? So there are a couple articles I want to talk about. So one is from the uh, Heard on the Street section of the Wall Street Journal from January 13th. So this is at the time of recording almost a month ago. But I, but I caught this a while ago and I've just been holding on to it waiting to talk about it. So the, the, the title of this piece is Zombie, Zombies Threaten European Bank Recovery. It's by Rochelle Taplinski. And the, the, the subheading is Lockdown Support Programs Risk Creating Bad Debt Problems That Damaged Economy a Decade Ago. So just read a little bit of it. A decade ago, Europe's recovery from the global financial crisis was held back by the lingering bad debt problem of its banks. History risks repeating itself. The region's generous lockdown support programs and patchwork of insolvency laws could create so-called zombie firms, inefficient companies kept alive by cheap debt. Last month, the European Central Bank said that this remains a risk. And then if um, we go down a little bit more... Following both the global financial crisis and the Eurozone crisis, non-viable companies in Europe were kept alive by politicians worried about job losses and lenders hesitant to acknowledge bad debts. The zombies lowered markups, net investment, and productivity in their markets, as well as inflation in the wider economy, according to a recent report from the Federal Bank of New York. Problems that have come back to bite their lenders, too. And then um, a little bit later on, it says, Sometimes, though, the support simply provides cheap funds that help unsustainable companies limp on. It is very hard for policymakers to get the timing right on these programs. Rolling back too early could hurt viable businesses, but too late can create zombies. 
And then the last thing just from this is zombie firms aren't exclusively a European concern. Chinese steelmakers and U.S. shale oil producers were two other problem markets identified in the New York Fed's report. So this is something the Austrian business cycle talks about. And pretty much what happens is you can imagine companies that could survive, um, but they want certain investments. Um, so, 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 so imagine you have a company, you want to make certain investments, but the only loan you can get is 3% loan. Well, certain decisions aren't appealing with a 3% loan, but they are appealing with a 0.5% loan. Now, imagine even a more uh, dangerous scenario for your business that you need a loan to keep your company surviving, but if it has a 3% loan, there's no way your company would ever be able to repay it. You're essentially financially doomed. But luckily, the Federal Reserve pushed down rates, and you can get that loan for 1%. Well, now you can barely afford to stay in business because the Federal Reserve happened to um, force the economy by, by, by you know loading in a bunch of money and forcing down interest rates. They, they've, they've pushed rates down, and now you're able to survive. Well, this company, based on the equilibrium economic conditions, should die. All the market indicators are saying, hey, this company isn't, isn't for the future. But you know what? Since you're able to secure things at a lower rate because of lower interest rates, these companies limp on. These are inefficient companies that are doing things that aren't valuable to society, which is why they would run out of business. If you have a store that people stop going to and then, you know, you get less and less business year over year, your company is dying and probably because people don't want to shop from it anymore. But if you get artificially low rates, then you can secure funding to keep that business limping on for a few more years than if the rates were the, the actual market price. So this ends up leading to um, bad allocation of scarce capital. Well, 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 and, and by scarce capital, I can mean human capital, as in you have people working in jobs that really shouldn't exist because they, they should just go out of business. And those people could work at companies that are actually valuable. Um, but instead, you just have, you know, you have people subsidizing dying companies. And, and the, one of the reasons it's so harmful to think about it is if, if you imagine a world where we didn't have, say, like the military, you'd have all this supply of people that could be doing things that are productive. You could have people make more food. You can have people make more other resources. You can have more people working in entertainment. You can increase the supply of things, and that would push the price of these things down. And presumably, if things were cheaper... Um, more people to have access to them, and that's a good thing. But instead, we take all this human capital, and then we ship them overseas, and they do whatever they end up doing for the military. So it's like we have a scarce amount of human capital, and many people would argue that they're misallocated because we don't need people in certain places where they're put overseas. Well, you could say kind of the same thing here. These companies would go out of business, but they're going to limp on for you know five more years, and these people aren't doing anything productive for the economy. They're not making things people want. And if, they, if their company closed down and they had to go find a new job, that new job would actually be a company that could survive with uh, under like real market conditions. So they'd be more efficiently placed. So this is something that you know they're reporting on is actually happening in Europe, and this is what stunted economic growth out of Europe's last recovery. This is a real thing. It's not just a theoretical Austrian business cycle um, situation. This is something that, that, that people are warning about when we talk about Federal Reserve rates or we talk about ECB links um, you know, in the EU. So that, that's something you have to think about when people start talking about sluggish growth or things that cause the next bubble. Well, maybe some of the things that caused the next bubble or the next crash is these companies that have been waiting to die for a decade, but they're, they've just been limping on for so long because of low rates. 
maybe these companies aren't um, overvalued for, 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 for unfettered capitalism reasons. Maybe it has something to do with cheap money. Maybe all these companies are alive and are finally going to realize that they should, you know, go bankrupt um, 10 years later than they should have. And then you've had all these wasted resources and wasted efforts. So, so, so that's something just to consider that's like a bad economic consequence of low rates when, in general, all the bad economic consequences are blamed on too much capitalism. And this is something you contribute to too low rates. The, the, the other um, article I just wanted to touch on a little bit is an opinion piece from the Wall Street Journal, and it was called The Risks of Too Much Stimulus, and it's by Phil Graham and Mike Salon. So pretty much what this piece kind of lays out, um, to summarize it instead of to read from it, is that Biden wants to give another $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, yet if you look at the disposable incomes of Americans over the, this kind of coronavirus pandemic, the actual disposable income for people has increased. Um, so people have actually seen their, on average, money increase, even though it were supposed to be in a pandemic where everybody lost their jobs and this is because to other re, 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 these are because of other benefits like that stimulus check like the increased unemployment benefits so they've actually put more money in people's pockets so what this article ends up addressing by the end of it is this plan is going to put more money in people's pockets even though they still haven't gotten jobs and there have still been supply chain issues and it kind of raises the concern that this is how you get inflation you get inflation when you know your demand and supply curve um, shift in ways that increase the price of goods. So if your supply is stagnant and your demand goes up because people have higher disposable incomes, then the price of things goes up. Well, this is the situation where disposable incomes have actually gone up and the supply of goods has gone down because 10% of people are still out of work and because supply chains have been disrupted um, just because of, you know, intermediary processes have shut down because of coronavirus, um, because of coronavirus policy. So even if a bunch of businesses are still staffed, if one of your inter intermediary suppliers has cut back because of their coronavirus um, plans, well, that's going to disrupt your supply chain. It just takes one problem in your supply chain to kind of have several implications. So this is how you end up with inflation. You have supply go down and demand go up. So what this article is hinting at is, hey, that's already happening. You're already going to the grocery store and seeing more. You're seeing less things on sale and prices higher for a lot of things, especially like meat. So maybe 1.9 trillion dollars of stimulus is just going to push that demand curve up even higher, and that will really just push inflation higher. And that's really just going to increase um, the cost of goods. Even though you'll have more money, the cost of goods go up, and inflation doesn't really help a lot of people. It just looks good on paper. So a lot of the a lot of this um, article is just arguing there is such thing as too much stimulus. We shouldn't be acting like there's no such thing as too much stimulus. So, okay. So so in summary, a couple articles that that, that I just discussed um, show that certain types of interventions aren't always smart. Then when we look back on the GameStop scenario, the GameStop scenario actually played out in a way that makes sense. Because it made sense to drive GameStop up, but it made sense why it would revert to the mean, which is a very low price. So that was capitalism actually working, and then people took advantage of something in a free market peacefully. Um, now, that, that sets up regulatory risk, 
and it also sets up these bubbles to be made as a scapegoat, but there are really real interventions right now that are leading to inflation and zombie companies because a lot of interventionary policy has second-order consequences that they don't expect. So when they're explaining why unfettered capitalism ruined the economy because of SPACs and Robin Hood, you have to think, maybe there's more to the story. Maybe the reason why there might be a huge market correction this year isn't because of SPACs and Robin Hood and speculation. Maybe it's it may, maybe, maybe, maybe it's for a similar reason to why there's zombie companies. Maybe it's because when you make rates really low to borrow, people do stupider things with their money than when money's expensive. Maybe if you have to pay 8% to get a loan, you'll be uh, more conservative with your money. But if the Federal Reserve pushes things to negative rates or almost zero rates, maybe people will do things that are more reckless. And maybe that's what sets up the bust in the boom and bust cycle. But in the end, they're going to point to the narratives that are popular and the ones that are most covered by the media. That's going to be the GameStop fiasco. That's going to be Robin Hood. That's going to be you and not the institutions that they make money off of. So keep that in mind. Um, I know this is a long one. I hope I tied that together in a relatively coherent way. I, I know there are some gaps there that could probably be clarified better if I'd scripted this out, but I really just had a, a bunch of articles here that I'd gone through in the last week, and I just wanted to do my best to kind of do a um, to, 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 to do a bit of a synthesis of things. A lot of this podcast is me thinking out loud and trying to give you something to chew on, and I hope this episode gave you something to chew on. If you enjoyed it, feel free to check out the rest of the backlog. Um, Feel free to find me on Twitter at the Obey Podcast and uh, let me know what you think. Um, and yeah, of course, I appreciate you guys listening and I hope you tune in next time. Thank you. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey podcast at anchor.fm slash Obey podcast or on Twitter at the Obey podcast. Until next time. Next time.